chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, and you can find that on page uh, 1,217 of the Church Bibles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the spirits, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of these things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thank you, Francis. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we have a look through this text and as we explore this topic of joy, that you would cause us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world around us, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in a new series called Growing in Discipleship, and today we are going to be growing in joy. Next week we're growing in holiness. The following week, we will be growing in relationships. And finally, in three weeks' time, we'll be growing through suffering. But today, we're growing in joy. Now, as we start looking at this topic of joy, you might say to me, what do you mean by joy? Let's define joy a little bit. And the first thing to say as we define joy is that joy is not happiness. It's something deeper than that. It's not pleasure. Again, it's something deeper than that. And John Piper, the uh, American pastor, is, is helpful in his definition. In fact, he, he says, you know, words don't have a meaning by themselves. They only have a meaning in the context that they're used. So when we look at Christian joy, we need to look at how the Bible uses the word joy. And in fact, in a study on Paul rather than Peter, who we're using today, uh, he says in in Paul's understanding, and I'd say it's the same as with Peter, 
He says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. So the soul goes deep down. Produced by the Holy Spirit. So it's something of God doing a work in us as believers. As he causes us to see the beauty of Christ. And again, that's, that's Christ who died for us and his love for us. In the word, so we see joy in scripture and also in the world because this world that we're living in is created by God and therefore created um, to glorify him and therefore to bring joy in us. And as we start looking at this massive topic, even with that definition, I wondered if I might chuck out a couple of questions at you just to help you get in the zone on this Sunday night. So here's the first one to think about. When in life did you feel most joyful? Don't answer, just think about these things. When in life did you feel most joyful? Here's the second one. What is your joy dependent on? Is it dependent on your circumstances? Or your finances? Is it dependent on whether you have work and what work you do? Is it dependent on other people, on relationships? What is your joy dependent on? Do you think that your most joyful moments are behind you? Or are they still in front of you? And have a look down at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Does an inexpressible and glorious joy describe who you are and what's happening inside of you? And uh, Peter here is writing in the present continuous. You continue to be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Does that describe you? And if it doesn't describe you, if it doesn't always describe you, it's a fantastic thing because it means that we can continue to grow in joy. There's growth to be had in this area. Here's another question. Is there any feeling or emotion that you would rather possess deep in your soul than joy? Would you prefer anything over joy? And if joy is something pretty high up on your list that you would love to possess deep in your soul, what have you done about it? Or what would you like to do about it? And if you haven't done much about it or you'd like to do more about it, then this evening is the start of a quest of growing in joy. And I'll admit that it's literally just scratching the surface of this massive topic of joy in the Bible. As I was looking through joy in the Bible, I spotted that joy or rejoice is mentioned directly almost 400 times in the Bible. It's mentioned by, I think, pretty much every author in the Bible, every book in the Bible 
It's mentioned more in the Old Testament than the New Testament. And in fact, I think I could have preached it from anywhere, uh, but we've chosen Peter, so we're mostly going to stick to Peter. But also, it's correct that you find joy all over the Bible, because joy is an attribute of God. It's, it's about who God is. And so therefore, as God reaches out to us, we'd expect him to be doing so for his joy and for our joy and leading us in joy. So let's start by um, having some time in this text, going through uh, 1 Peter uh, 1, 1 to 9, in fact. Peter starts this way. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Christ Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So Peter is starting here by saying he's speaking to Christians, and not just Christians of one particular church or one particular place, but but scattered over quite a large area of uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and around there. And because he's talking to multiple people, we can say, this is going to touch us as well. Because it's not a specific letter, um, but it is a fairly general one. He's talking to Christians, to God's elect, exile, those who've been sent out, potentially from Jerusalem, um, and those who've been a, a chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He says, those who've been made holy, chosen by God, sanctifying is made holy. Again, the sprinkling of the blood, uh, which comes from Leviticus 9, which you can read in your own time, uh, the blood sprinkled against the altar uh, is to sanctify, is to make it holy. Uh, Through Jesus' death, we've been made holy. This letter is to those who are Christians, who have been made holy. So he carries on. This is verses 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. We've got new birth. Um, we'll get into this in a second. But, but, but our, um, our joy uh, centers around what Jesus has done for us, this new birth that has come about in us. And that gives us a living hope. As you explore joy in the Bible, you'll see so often it's in passages where it's connected to hope because it's future-looking. It's connected to love because that's who God is and connected to faith as well. So there's a living hope. And that hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, The evidence that Jesus' work was completed for us on the cross uh, was his resurrection. He has beaten death, and therefore we do too through him. And that brings us to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Christian joy looks back to what Jesus has done for us and forward to this incredible inheritance that we get to have with him for eternity. And again, 
this is right because the gospel does the same. All the, the Old Testament writers look forward to what Jesus is going to do in his first coming and his second coming. And all the New Testament writers look back to what Jesus did for us on the cross and forward to this inheritance that's going to be ours in his second coming and when we spend eternity with him. And that is where our relationship with Jesus is based on the cross. If God is entirely relational and relationship stems with him, if the Godhead uh, consists of three persons, he is able to be love in himself. A God who is one and not three, just singular, wouldn't be love by himself. But a God who is three and one is able to be love in himself. And it's out of that three and one and out of the overflow of the love in the three-in-one that we are created. That's where we came from. And therefore, at the core, who we are meant to be are relational characters, those who are in relationship with God and relationship with each other. And that's why there's this incredible truth that the world doesn't understand, but the church does understand, that when everything else is stripped away, we're not left with matter We're not left with the stuff, and we're also not left with our reputations that we care so much about and we spend our lives cultivating. When everything is stripped away, we're left with relationships. It's our relationship with God and our relationship with each other that will last eternally. And so since God is relational, we expect joy to be relational. And as you spend time looking at joy in the Bible, you might even just do a search for joy tonight when you go home. You'll find out that joy is always related uh, to our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. John uh, writes about his, John the disciple writes about his his joy in seeing Christians and his joy in knowing uh, that they're in Christ. Uh, The Old Testament writers write about this this joy that is going to be ours when when Jesus comes and the relationship is restored. Uh, Joy is relational. And in fact, Jesus hits home on it in Luke 10 when the 72 disciples return uh, from doing incredible things in Jesus' name. And they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They've got such joy that the demons are submitting and these incredible things are happening as they pray in Jesus' name. And Jesus' correction is this. He says, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's where our joy should be primary, that our names are written in heaven, that we have a relationship with the God who created us for relationship with him. So we find out that joy is relational. Let's carry on into verses uh, 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, all this that's to come. Though for no, now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. As I spent time looking at joy this week and even thinking about joy today, one of the things that I noticed is that 
It just isn't simple. We suffer in life. Life isn't easy. There are two ladies this morning who've lost um, family members recently. And it's, it's not simple. It's not a, it doesn't feel like an easy fix just to say we should be expecting joy all the time. But Peter's helpful in saying, yes, we do suffer trials of every kind. But in fact, those trials can increase our joy. Because just as gold is refined by fire, even though it perishes, through trials, we can be refined by, 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 by the fiery trials, if you like, uh, that we undergo in order to refine our faith. And that faith, our relationship with God, is eternal and doesn't perish. It's the most incredible thing. And so joy, in fact, can increase our, our faith. Sorry, trials can increase our joy because they produce glory for God. The Westminster Catechism asks this question, asks, what is the chief end of man? Which is something I think we need to be reminded of. I certainly need to be reminded of over and over again. What is the chief end of man? Uh, this great uh, reformed um, uh, doctrine here. And, and what's the answer? What is the chief end of man? Emma's got the answer. She doesn't, sorry. I, so I, almost. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the reason why we exist, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And in fact, even our trials as they refine us can bring glory to God, as Peter says, and increase our joy as we enjoy him forever. Uh, James, Jesus' brother, writes in James 1, uh, 2 and 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. When you're facing trials of many kinds, and this is so counterintuitive, isn't it? When you're facing trials, consider them, not just joy, but pure joy. That's taking this joy in trials. And say, come on, James. But he knows what it's like. He knows what these trials are like. Uh, the glory that they can bring to God and the joy they can bring in us. And Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, writes something similar. He says, if trials and uh, suffering turn you towards God, bring you closer to God, then the enemy's got nothing on you. It means that everything that he chucks at you will just bring you closer to God. Back in the day when I was, I think it was about 15 or 16, my mum got breast cancer. And this is a massive shock for me at, at that particular time. Um, yeah, and I, I was struggling. I, I wasn't sure what to do. But I was doing confirmation at the time, and uh, I thought I'd go and have a chat to the chaplain at school. So his name was Trevor Tyers, and we used to call him Rev Trev. So I went after Rev Trev, and I said, uh, would it be okay if I pray with you? This is what's happening in my life. And he pulled me out of my English class, and we went into the chapel. And I've got absolutely no idea what Rev Trev prayed in that particular time. The only memory that I have is, is of this incredible joy that came down while he was praying for me. It was irrational in the circumstances. 
but it, it, it is right in the context of this passage uh, because suffering and trials of many kinds, when, when you turn them to God and hand them over to God, can produce glory for him and therefore joy for us. All this to say in verses 6 and 7, that joy is not circumstantial if even trials and suffering can produce joy for us. Let's carry on and see the heart of this text and and the real juice. Verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, so joy in us looks to this future relationship that we're going to have, the, 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 the salvation that's ours in the future. And in fact, it, it looks back to the salvation that we got when it is ours at first, and, and therefore looks into the present, into this uh, present continuous, where we're filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And it might be that you're able to, to get some sort of picture of what the joy of the future is going to be uh, with, with, with Christ when we're fully united with him. And it might also be that you've got an idea of what joy in the past looked like. If you've done Alpha, then um, you might remember Nicky Gumbel's incredible story of uh, this vicar. I can't even remember where he was. Um, but he had a guy come up to him and said, I'd love to become a Christian, but I just don't want to tell people that I've become a Christian. Can I just be a Christian quietly? And this vicar said to him, okay, I'm sure God will make an exception for you. You just go for it. Uh, So that particular night, this guy went up into his bedroom and he knelt beside his bed and he said, Lord, please forgive me for everything that I've done in the past. Lord, I want to live my life for you. I want to take up this offer of salvation in you. I accept you as my Lord. And at that time, he was filled with this most incredible joy that came down on him, uh, to such a degree that he sprinted down the stairs to his family, who I believe were in the kitchen, um, and, and said, I've got to tell you this most amazing thing. Uh, I've just given my life to the Lord, and it's joyful. It's so joyful. Um, and he was doing exactly what he didn't think he was ever going to do because of the joy that is his. It might have been that you were filled with such a joy when you gave your life to the Lord. It might have been that uh, you came to Christ a little bit more slowly, maybe like me. Um, But even in coming to Christ slowly, you might have experienced some joy. I've got a great memory of coming across John 3.16 for the first time as I was reading through the Gospels, for the very first time, in fact. And when I understood what sacrifice Christ had made for me because of his love for me, um, nothing could contain my joy. And I literally, I remember jumping up and down in my bedroom, praising Jesus and singing out to him. So there's joy in the future in our relationship with him. There's joy in the past. But what about this present continuous joy? Even though Jesus is in sacrifice over and over again, our salvation is something that's continuous. And therefore we should expect uh, joy in our lives as we're being saved. But it doesn't always seem that way. And one of my questions maybe tonight uh, for you is why? Why doesn't it always 
feel that way? And I think maybe an answer is uh, given by C.S. Lewis in his brilliant book, Surprised by Joy, which if you haven't read, please read it. It's absolutely brilliant. I'm charring through it at the moment. But he defines joy as an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. An unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. And he says, when we taste that, we don't want anything else more than that. That's all we want in life is more of that joy. And sometimes it's a desire for more desire rather than feeling the desire all the time in ourselves. Do you want a desire for that desire? And it pushes us forward to go deeper into God. You might also ask, what might obstruct our joy? Because if joy is part of who God is and we've got the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit living in us as Christians, we'd expect there to be joy in our lives. But there's sometimes that that joy is obstructed. It's not gone, but it's obstructed. We can't see it. What might obstruct our joy? Jerry Bridges in this book, um, The Practice of Godliness, which again is, is, is phenomenal, and we've used it once or twice, uh, has a chapter on joy. And he talks about four different things that can obstruct our joy. And I just want to mention two of them. Here's the first one. Uh, and it's, it's sin. Uh, after David has committed adultery with Bathsheba and he's confronted by Nathan the prophet, uh, he confesses. And Psalm 51 comes out of this confession. In fact, we said verse 12 of Psalm 51 this evening in our confession. But in verse 4, he says, Against you, to God, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justify when you judge. Going into verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. When... When we sin, when we let stuff get in between us and God, and therefore our joy is diminished. And it's when we confess our sin, as we did this evening, and we turn away from it, that God restores our joy to us. So if we're feeling we're lacking joy, one area we need to look at is sin and ask, Lord, is there something that I need to confess at this moment that's obstructing my joy? Jerry Bridges pointed out another thing that can obstruct our joy, uh, which is misplaced confidence. Paul writes to the Romans in uh, 15, verses 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Our confidence needs not to be in us, but in God. And as we take our confidence away from ourselves and we place it in God, he will increase our joy because we glorify and honor him in that and we live as we're meant to live. And in fact, I've, I've seen that recently in, in people's lives in, in this evening service congregation. 
as they've put their trust more and more in Jesus, in difficult circumstances, in fact, uh, they've been flooded with joy. They've become more joyful through their trials as their confidence has been put uh, in, in God and maybe even taken away from themselves. So it, it might be that, that you're struggling with joy today and, and you need to ask this question, where is my confidence? Is it in myself or is it in God? And is there a way that I'm able to decrease my confidence in myself and increase my confidence in God? So those are two of the four um, potential things that might obstruct our joy. If, if you want the other two from Jerry Bridges, you've got to read this book, The Practice of Godliness. Here's another question, and it's a final question. Um, how can we grow in joy? Let's get practical. How can we grow in joy? As you study joy and think about it biblically, you'll notice very quickly that, that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is, is fruit singular rather than fruit plural. So it's the Holy Spirit in us that produce all of these fruit which are one. So we can't ask for one without having the other. And in fact, you can't pursue you don't pursue fruit, um, you plant a tree if you want the fruit. And so as we seek joy, instead of um, planting joy or asking for joy to be produced in our lives, we should, we should ask, how can we plant this tree that will produce joy? And that tree that needs to plant, be planted, the tree that needs to grow, is the Holy Spirit in us. C.S. Lewis helpfully uh, says as he's looking for joy, that he comes to the point that he, he realizes he's, he's looking for the what, but actually he should be looking for the who. Rather than looking for the what of joy, we should be looking for the person of God, uh, the three in one in us, and to grow our relationship with him. And as we think about growing our relationship, that's going to increase our joy. You, you guys are great at relationships. I mean, I mean you, you know how to grow relationships. You know what's important. You know that, that daily time together with someone who you're serious about a relationship with is vital. Quality time with, maybe weekly. Holidays with. Uh, I was talking about holidays with, uh, with God this morning. Uh, and one chap came up to me and he said, I'm just about to have a walk to Rome, it's like 200 miles or something. Uh, I think he's starting in Tuscany. Uh, and he said, I have never thought about it as a holiday with God, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a holiday with God. When last did you have a holiday with God? When last did you take that quality and quantity time to spend with a God who wants to grow a relationship with you? So to grow joy, we're to grow a relationship with God. Uh, we are to, to pray for the Holy Spirit to overflow in us, in all the fruit of the Spirit. And here's a third one before we pray for the second one. Here's a third one. Why don't we be joy spotters? Uh, why don't we help others by pointing out joy in their lives? Maybe you've come back from a holiday where you got to spend time with, uh, with, with family members and just a joyful time with your family members. 
why don't you point it out and, and, and name it? Say, I want to praise God for the joy that it was of spending time with those family members. Or, or maybe you're the friend and whose who's, uh, friend has, has, has gone and uh, had this holiday and he comes back or she comes back and they say, the holiday has been great. Have you been able to spend time with family members? Spot that joy. Say, what a joy that must have been. You must be really praising God for that. Let's spot joy in each other's lives and cultivate um, joy in each other uh, because it's a godly thing. And as we finish looking at joy in this evening, and literally we've just scratched the surface, I'd love you to, to go out there and, and have a look at joy in the Bible. And, and let's be pursuing this as we pursue our relationship with the Lord. Um, let's pray for one another to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be overflowing in joy. So let's do something that um, uh, I think we might be comfortable with. Slightly uncomfortable with, but we're going to do anyway, actually. We'll close our eyes so no one can see anyone else. And put out a hand to a person on your left or right, or if you're not sitting right next to someone, you can just put your arms out in the right direction. Uh, Be pointing hands in the right direction to people on your left and right. And what we're going to do is just pray for the Holy Spirit. You can close your eyes so we don't get awkward about it. Um, uh, We're going to be praying for each other to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to abound in joy. So Lord, we, we pray that you would grow us in joy. Thank you, Lord, that joy is intrinsic to you, that you are a God of joy. Thank you for this incredible joy that Jesus died for us on the cross, that our sin is dealt with once and for all, and therefore our relationship that we are created for with you, can be restored. Thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is living in us, and thank you that he is producing fruit in us. Thank you, Lord, that that fruit consists of joy, amongst other things. And so, therefore, Lord, I pray that you would grow our relationship with you. You are the Lord who initiates And I pray, Lord, that we'd be abounding in joy as our relationships grow. Thank you, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us up to overflowing. And let us overflow with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.